Point and Click Radio is up next here on KZYX. Been to the library lately? There's a lot there, and you don't even have to leave home to find it. Where's NASA's new space telescope right now? We'll tell you how to find out. And we'll talk to a photographer who's taking the world on a virtual voyage to Yosemite National Park. All that and more on tonight's Point and Click Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina. And Bob Lawton has the night off, but as you can tell, we are joined tonight by Toby Molina, who is usually at the point-and-click research desk, but she stepped away from the point-and-click research desk to join us in the main control room here at Point-and-Click Central to pilot this mighty starship. And we should note that we are not going to be taking calls tonight because we're not actually here. That is to say, tonight's show is pre-recorded, so it's all Toby and Jim all the time for the next hour, but we've got a really interesting show on tap. In our second half hour, we're going to be talking with a a photographer and the producer of an amazing website called Virtual Yosemite, which allows us to take a virtual tour of Yosemite National Park, visiting hundreds of different locations throughout the park and exploring 360-degree virtual reality panoramas and even listening to the sounds of different locations throughout the park, reading about them. It's an incredible site. Um, We encourage you to visit it, and we encourage you to stick around for the interview with photographer Scott Heighton in our second half hour. But first, when I was growing up, I always used to visit our local public library where I would read about the nerdy things that I was into then and that I'm still into now, things like electronics and ham radio and photography. And um, I loved the fact that this public building had these incredible resources that were available to me for free, that I could go in and and open a book and open my mind and learn about cool things. And libraries are, of course, alive and well. Um, And now there is a digital angle, too. And it turns out that here in Mendocino County, a huge array of really interesting resources are available if you have a library card. And that is going to be the subject of the first portion of our show, where uh, Toby's going to talk about the kinds of amazing goodies that you can get just by having a library card. Mendolibrary.org. Mendolibrary.org. That's where the digital uh, adventure begins. There is a vast uh, array of resources available online uh, through the library. If you have a library e-card, which is very simple to obtain, uh, there's also a library app, which it seems uh, I, I downloaded it, used it. It's uh, available to iOS and Android uh, devices, and um, you can search the catalog and request items. You can view dates of items currently checked out and renew items. Um, there's uh, the language preference in English or Spanish, and uh, you can locate your nearest branch and the hours, all that good stuff that you would normally expect in, a, in an app. And, and what is the name of that app? How do I find it? Uh, you go to the iTunes App Store or to the Google uh, Play Store and search for Mendocino County Library. Ah, 
and you'll find it there. You can also scan a barcode on a book that you might have in hand, and it will tell you whether it's available at the library. Ooh. I think that's super cool. So you mean if I'm at a friend's house and I see a book that looks really interesting, there's a barcode printed, what, on the copyright page of every book? That's on the back cover, typically. Oh, on, oh, the barcode. The, oh like yeah, the, the ISBN. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And you can take a picture of that with your phone or something with this app. With the app. And then it'll tell you whether it's at the library, is it checked in, how many copies, oh, that sort of thing. that's fantastic. Yeah. There's also, you can also, through the app, do the online library card registration. Oh, yeah. so, so if can, I don't have a library card, yeah, that's an important point, right? which we'll talk about later after yeah. we talk about all this great stuff that you need a card to be able to get access to. So it's almost, uh, it, it, it certainly begs uh, some sleuthing on the uh, library page. It's actually the Discover page. It's uh, mendolibrary.org slash discover. And you'll see a vast treasure trove of available uh, resources. Uh, including, uh, just starting with newspapers, uh, the Press Democrat, the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Wall Street Journal, on and on. Um, Consumer Reports, I thought that was pretty cool. So when I, when I used to go to the library, I always loved the little reading section where they had the, the, that day's newspapers. On a stick? On a stick, exactly, <laughs> newspapers on a stick. <laughs> so this is the digital version of newspapers on a stick. Correct. An amazing amount of content is available with your, uh, your e-card. Uh, wow. Um, now, each has its own limitations. Some Actually, that's not true. Some have limitations, some don't. For example, the New York Times, you can read five articles a day. Five free articles a day. Correct. Um, but uh, others, you can read the whole newspaper or you can search their archives. What it mostly is, is that you're not going to see like, here's today's paper. What you're going to get is a search box. Mm. You can search for some terms and it'll give you a list of, of uh, available articles. There's something called Archives Unbound um, that's available that is for students. It's for uh, doing research. Wow. Um, there's the Cannabis News Bank. Which is a, a really robust uh, 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 industry news and information and archives. Wow. Um, so that's just, you know, scratching the surface of the uh, newspapers and articles that are available. There's also a section called Culture and Learning. And you can find content from the likes of LinkedIn Learning and Skillshare and Explora, Coursera, Britannica Digital Learning. So these are all these online um, online education. They're almost like the, the, the Netflix of learning, where there are thousands of courses on subjects ranging from, um, you know, learning Microsoft Word to learning Photoshop to being a better photographer to how to give better presentations or how to ask your boss for a raise and all of that stuff. Right. You can get access to those online learning sites and there are several providers, as you mentioned, through, through your library. Well, for example, LinkedIn Learning has over 5,000 courses, and the entirety of their library is free if wow. you have the library card. Wow. So, uh, again, it's hard to go over just the vast amount of content that's available, but it gives you kind of scratches the surface. Yeah. Um, uh, there are job resources, grant finder, county employment, um, County resources, small business resources. There's law library access. Um, there's a lot of uh, content for kids, uh, story time, and uh, um, 
let's see, oh, e-books and audio books, calendar, the calendar of the, li- of the library, you know, the actual in-person, not that probably a lot of people aren't going for story time at the library these days, but right, right. some people are. Um, so all this to say, dig into the uh, library website. It's incredible. I, I just spent a little bit of time looking uh, at it, and I can't believe that all of these resources were resources were there, but I... Uh, you know, I, I only thought of it as a place to get books. <laughs> but there's music and CDs. And well, that's a good good point because in, in your in your physical library there are um, there are DVDs that you can check right. out and things like that. Now, there are also streaming things that you can kind of virtually check out. Correct. There's music. There's large type books. There's wow. uh, books on CD, DVDs, uh, downloadable audiobooks. There's all kinds of stuff. And, and so like Kindle books and things like that. If you use an e-reader type <laughs> thing, you can uh, you can you can right. check out EPUBs. EPUBs. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm certainly not uh, completely versed in all of the offerings, but I encourage everybody to get in there and and take a look because th- there's something for everyone, including. And this was a discovery today, which just blew my mind. A seed library. Wait, what? A seed library. How's that Seeds at the Mendocino County Seed Libraries are free to library patrons. Each library has resources on gardening and seed saving available for checkout, as well as programs on gardening. Oh. A seed library. I can see how that would rock your world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so cool anyway um, so they're not actual seeds <laughs> you can't check out well obviously you can't check out a, no but I think there are actually of... also seeds <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's just an expression can I download a, bag, a package of sweet pea seeds <laughs> <laughs> um, I would wow. uh, yeah well here I'm, I'm actually looking right at this very moment at the Ukiah Library Collection and Inventory of Seeds. Beans, bok choy, broccoli, cabbage, celery. Yes, seeds. There's a seed library. Correct. Yeah, super cool. I don't understand exactly how it works. (laughs) Um, There are like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kinds of cabbage. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why I'm laughing. I think I'm so delighted that I'm laughing. It's but just, it's it's, phenomenal. Yeah, it's wonderful. Anyway, I encourage anybody who's interested to um, to gather a little bit more information because it's just something that I, I stumbled upon. And, and there are, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of different kinds of flowers. And I think it's just a fabulous resource. Wow. Um, and if anybody learns more, maybe on another show, somebody could call in and Tell us what they've discovered about the seed library. Oh, that would, that's a great idea. Yes, listeners, you know, on future shows when we're taking calls and you've, uh, not only if you've discovered something cool in the seed library, but anywhere else on the library site. I know Bob uses um, the e-library mm-hmm. features a lot. I know he's going to want to weigh in on, uh, on, on a future show. So we'll, maybe we'll do a, a follow-up and we'll get some folks to call in with some ideas of things that they've discovered. This just in. <laughs> seed library pickup request form in Ukiah. Oh. You may request up to 20 seed packets per individual. Availability is not guaranteed. Phenomenal. That's just, how cool is that? That's just a beautiful thing. And then I see here planting, harvesting, seed saving charts from Mendocino County. Just, 
I think we forget what a rich resource the public library system really is. And particularly uh, right. here, clearly, we're very lucky to have a lot of access to a lot of content. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful marriage to me of like the, 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 the virtual world and the, and the real world. The fact that you can explore what kind of seeds are available, just, or books for that matter. Reserve a packet of seeds or a book for that matter. And then dig in the dirt. And then go and pick it up. Or go and pick up a book yeah. <laughs> and then dig in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful combination of, 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 an, of digital and, and analog. So applying <clears throat> for a card is... Yeah, so you need to have a card to get any of these reach, uh, zip, zip. riches. It was, so it was very easy. I went to the, uh, the, the Mendocino Library, the MendoLibrary.org site. There are any a number of places on the site you can find to uh, submit for a, to apply for a card. I filled out all the requisite uh, fields in the form, and I instantly receive my new e-card number. I mean, instantly. Wow. Um, so the card is, is active. It expires in 120 days. And then you can use an e-card to uh, immediately place items on hold, stream movies and music, download e-books and e-audiobooks, as well as access uh, digital content that the library has to offer, all the things that um, I just mentioned. Uh, in order to get your permanent card, you're supposed to go to the library with your e-card number and a photo ID to any branch to receive a free, non-expiring library card, uh, granting you full access to the collection. Uh, you have to have a, a physical card to check out materials, request a book from another branch, um, use the library internet workstations, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. However, I get the feeling that given uh, what thing, how things are in the moment... It may be possible to call the library to arrange, to provide your e-card number. Uh, it may be able to do this uh, more virtually, you know, via telephone than having to go into the library. It's certainly worth a call. I, I couldn't confirm at the time of the show mm -hmm. uh, whether that's possible, but the wording that I'm seeing on some of the more current uh, parts of the site seem to suggest that you might be able to do it um, over the phone. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I know, and I'm putting you on the spot here because we didn't talk about this in advance, but um, I know the physical library locations, I think they are open again, but they probably have COVID safety precautions in effect. I think I recall seeing a link uh, on that uh, site to that effect. Um, not that this is exactly relevant to the all the cyber and digital stuff that we've been talking about, but um, if someone did want to go and pick up a book that they reserved or pick up those seeds that they chose... Um, you can get the information, I guess, on their site. You can get that uh, information on their site, but what you also can do is curbside pickup. Oh, nice. They are uh, providing that, uh, that service during these times. Um, so, yes, the libraries are open. Uh, you can go to the amendolibrary.org slash visit page. Mm -hmm. That'll give you information about the branch hours during the COVID-19 response. Um, they will do curbside, but I think you need to call to talk about that with each uh, individual branch. But the libraries are open. Nice. Nice. Yeah, the whole thing just kind of makes me like, it makes me oddly proud. <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud of the library system here in a, in a, in a rural area that is um, not only providing the physical library features, but also all of these digital features, which are in a lot of ways, so hugely valuable to people in this part of the world where it's hard to, the, the nearest branch may it's be far away. an hour or two yep. away, depending on where you live. Also, don't forget about the bookmobile. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, the bookmobile, on that same uh, slash visit page, you'll find a PDF of the bookmobile schedules, the bookmobile on the coast and the bookmobile in North County. I love the bookmobile. <laughs> seeing the seeing the bookmobile parked here in, in in metropolitan Albion near where we live is just like it's just it, again it, it warms my heart. I agree. Uh, so lots of information, uh, mendolibrary.org. You will jump in and suddenly it'll be 45 minutes later. And, and you won't be heard from again. And it's a great time, you know, with this new year and maybe some, you know, some resolutions. Hey, I want to read more. I want to learn more. I want to plant some seeds. Um, all of these amazing resources are available. Everything from, as Toby said, the ability to um, explore the card catalog and check out um, a physical book, reserve a physical book that you could then pick up through cur curbside delivery or explore all of the uh, the newspapers on a stick. I love that term. The, the ability to get to um, a half dozen or more um, current national and international newspapers um, on the house, often sometimes with limitations like the New York Times allowing you five free um, articles per day, which is still pretty amazing. Um, to what audiobooks and videos and movies, movies. and DVDs and it just seeds. <laughs> yes, see, you keep coming to back to seeds. I know you're ready to plant already. It's not quite time yet. Fantastic. <laughs> MendoLibrary.org. Correct. And you can also get your library card, an e-library card, there. Correct which will be good for 120 days, and then call the library because you might be able to arrange for your permanent card to be mailed to you in these weird and trying times. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Toby, thanks so much. And everybody, listeners, if you go and explore these features, and we hope that you do, um, give us a call in a future show and let us know what cool treasures you found by visiting the virtual library, the mendolibrary.org website. If you need some answers, there's a way to find them by yourself. Everything you need to know is sitting right there on the bookshelf. Take a look inside a place that's full of wonder and surprise. You will find a whole new world will open up before your eyes. Your library. Everything you need to know. Your library. That's the place you need to go. Your library. Everything from A to Z. Your library. That's the place for you and me to find out all the things we never knew before. For you to Next, we go from our local public library to deep space. I'm talking about the James Webb Space Telescope, which you've probably heard about. Um, it is the most complex space telescope ever created. It's been many decades in development. It was almost canceled by Congress a couple of times, but it survived the budget cuts and it was built, tested, Went back to the drawing board a couple of times because certain things didn't work. And it's done. It was launched and it's on its way. It was launched on Christmas Day. And at this very moment, it is 732,301 miles from Earth. How do I know that? There's a very cool website devoted to the James Webb Space Telescope um, created by NASA. And you can get to it as at jwst.nasa.gov, JWST as in James Webb Space Telescope, or you can just go to the search engine of your choice and type James Webb Space Telescope. Probably even Space Telescope would get you there. Anyway, 
The James Webb Space Telescope website has all kinds of details about what kinds of observations this amazing telescope is said to be 10 or more times as powerful as the Hubble Space Telescope, um, observing in infrared and capable of, as the New York Times beautifully, poetically described it, able to observe the morning of time, as in the formation of the first stars and galaxies. Um, really, it's one of those kinds of new instruments that we will discover things we didn't even know we were out to discover. Anyway, the website has lots of information about what the telescope is all about, how it's constructed, the amazing steps that had to take place in order for it to kind of unfold like a butterfly after it was launched with a sun shield and solar panels and mirrors all folding in, into place. There was something like 700 different points of failure, 700 or so things that could go wrong, pulleys and belts and um, explosive bolts and things like that. Everything so far has worked, has worked perfectly. The telescope is fully deployed. It's not actually making any observations yet because it's not actually at its destination yet. It still has, it's 81.4% complete in terms of its distance. There's still 166,377 miles for it to go. <clears throat> and I know all of this because there is a page on the Space Telescope website called Where is Webb? And it is actually displaying real-time data from the telescope that indicates where it is, how far it is to its destination, how far, what percentage of the speed uh, of the of the distance it has um, it has traveled so far. Its current cruising speed, I'm here to tell you, is 0.2 miles per second. And there's even uh, temperature readouts from the telescope. One of the big challenges of the telescope is that the the observing half has to be extremely cold in order to be able to see and, 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 and able to in order to be able to get the sensitivity that they're looking for. And that's what that big multi-layered tennis court sized sun shield that you may have read about is all about. And on the hot side, the side that's facing the sun, that's facing this on the other side of the sun shield, I can tell you right now that it's 130 degrees. And on the cold side, on the other side of that tennis court sized sun shield, it's 329 degrees below zero. So that's some pretty effective insulation. 130 degrees on one side, minus 329 on the other side. Um, there's so much you can explore. As you can tell, I'm a space junkie. There are really cool video um, uh, animations of the different parts of the telescope unfolding. They actually didn't include telescopes on, or they didn't include cameras on the telescope because it would have added a lot of complexity and a lot more things that could possibly go wrong. And unlike the Hubble Space Telescope, we can't go up and fix this one with a spacewalk if something goes wrong because it is... Um, uh, it is journeying to its final destination of about a million miles from Earth to something known as the L2 Lagrange point, which is, as near as I understand it, a point where there's a kind of an equilibrium between the Earth's gravity and the Sun's gravity, and apparently it's a really good place to park a, uh, an observatory like the James Webb Telescope. So, um, 
like I said, go to the search engine of your choice if you're interested in reading more about this amazing telescope, which we paid for, and in my opinion, it's money well spent. And you can find out where it is and learn all about it. And um, and I just, I think, you know, it's going to be, I think, a couple of more months. It's going to be probably only another, what, maybe 11 days or so before it gets to its that Lagrange point. But then there's going to be another couple of months of testing and calibration and waiting for the instruments to get down to the really, really cold temperature, even colder than 329 degrees below zero. So we're not going to be seeing images from it for probably another couple of months, but I can't wait to see what it all discovers. You're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX in Philo. Yours truly, Jim Hyde, joined tonight by... Toby Molina from the Point and Click Research Desk. And in our next half hour, we're going to go back down to Earth and we're going to talk to photographer Scott Heighton. We interviewed him earlier and he's going to tell us all about the Virtual Yosemite website. So stay tuned for that as Point and Click Radio continues. Spirogyra wraps up the first half hour of tonight's edition of Point and Click Radio here on KZYX with a tune called Yosemite from an album called Rites of Summer. And in our next half hour, we're going to hear an interview that we recorded earlier with photographer Scott Heighton about his project called Virtual Yosemite. Here it is. Well, we are lucky to live in a beautiful part of the world, and we're not that far here in Mendocino County from one of the most spectacular places in the world, uh, Yosemite National Park. But it's still a bit of a drive from this part of the world, and in these current times, um, you may not feel actually, actually making a road trip, but there is a way for all of us, whether you're located in Mendocino County or on the other side of the world, to visit Yosemite National Park virtually. And that's through an amazing website web experience called Virtual Yosemite, which you can access at virtualyosemite.org. We have with us on tonight's edition of Point and Click Radio, Scott Heighton. He is a photographer who has been working with virtual reality, photographic virtual reality since the early 1990s. Prior to that, he was a photojournalist for newspapers and magazines and a documentary filmmaker. And he is the creator and producer of Virtual Yosemite, and he is here to talk to us about it, and we're very glad that he is. Welcome, Scott, to Point and Click Radio. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. So, because this is a radio show, and because we also have listeners in their cars who, and we don't want them to fire up their web browsers while we're chatting, um, tell us what Virtual Yosemite looks like. What will people see and, and hear when they go to the site? Yeah, when you go to the site, you will, uh, the first thing you'll be faced with is the option to enter the tour. And if you click on the, the VR tour, uh, you will be taken to uh, a window. The, the starting point is usually Glacier Point, which is up uh, overlooking Yosemite Valley, a spectacular viewpoint, very popular. <laughs> and it's a, an interactive panoramic view. It's 360 degrees that you can see all the way around. You can look straight up, you can look straight down, you can look over the edge into the, the valley below that's 3,000 feet below you. Uh, you can zoom in, you can zoom out. There's um, 
ambient audio playing in the backgrounds. And, and from this location, you can click on any of several dozen links within that image that will take you to another location. So you can basically click on the top of Half Dome and go to the, the summit of Half Dome, or you can see the top of Yosemite Falls. You can click on that and actually stand and look over the edge of Yosemite Falls. It moves around you. You can zoom in, you can zoom out, you can control where you're looking, how long you're looking, and where you go. So we have, I think there are now over 350 different locations wow. that we've photographed uh, within and around the park that you can basically explore to your heart's content. And, and so yeah, and when you're in one of these panoramas using your using your mouse, you can click and drag left and right and up and down, as you said, and kind of look in whatever direction you want. You can zoom in by pressing or zoom out by pressing certain keys on your keyboard. Um, and I noticed that a lot of the um, locations, maybe even all of them, because I admit I haven't explored all of them because there's so much to explore in in uh, in virtual Yosemite. Um, there's sound, too. Yes, that's true. And that's really an important element of the immersion process of being immersed in a virtual location. It's one thing to just see the, the pretty pictures or even the not so pretty pictures, um, but it's another to actually hear it and hear that sound of the frogs, the the you know the birds the waterfalls the fire you know whatever this that's going on around you and and it becomes it, it makes a huge difference in how immersed you feel in that environment through vr yeah and, and it really um should tell listeners when you go to virtualyosemite.org go there on the biggest screen that you have it really benefits from um just being immersed in, in the beauty of the location and the beauty of the photography. I mean, that's a really important point. These are not just amazing 360s, but they're beautifully composed and, and, and prepared 360s that just um, just capture the, the, the majesty that, that that location is. Well, thank you. And, and that truly is what we encourage, the full screen effect. I, I, people can do this. They can look at it on their smartphones, but it just doesn't do a lot for it. In fact, there are a lot of things that have to be turned off when you're on a small screen, like the caption information, because it just gets too crowded. So we encourage yeah. people to either view it on a, a tablet or um, a computer of some sort that has, and then go into full screen mode if you can and, and enjoy it that way. There's, there's a lot of detail and depth that you can see uh, with each of the images. So you can zoom in, zoom out, you know, and, and just really explore more than I often remember you know, wow. from, from shooting it. There's just detail there. That's, that's fascinating to be able to pull out. The, the captions you mentioned are a really good point. Um, they aren't just, there aren't just images and sounds at virtual Yosemite. There are, there's a lot of information about the locations, about the trails and the ways to access certain places. I mean, it's really a, a kind of an interactive guidebook for someone who is going to be visiting Yosemite. I can just imagine that I can spend hours just kind of planning what I want to see. I sort of designed the site so that it would be, it would allow viewers to basically be told a story 
about the location that they're going to. And the stories are often best told not only with visual images and sounds, but with words as well. So when I shoot the panoramas for the project, each one of them, or maybe a couple of them together, combine to tell a given story. In other words, it's the interior of a part of the Awani Hotel, or it's a cave somewhere, or it's a, a, uh, a Native American basket weaver doing a workshop. So that each one has the combination of the caption and the images and the sound. Uh, and then they, of course, all link to each other so that you can go from one story to the next. And, you know, whether it's a climb up, you know, Half Dome or uh, climb to another peak that uh, people may not normally get to, or even going off trail places that are, are, are unique and rarely visited. Uh, 90% of the locations that well, I've covered in the park are accessible by car or by foot uh, through through trails and through uh, you know just getting out in the parking lot and, and taking a look around. The other ten percent, more or less, are a little more out of the way places that you might have to go off trail or even do technical climbing to get to. But the whole point of the site is to allow viewers to either see things that they've seen in person before and revisit them or to show things to people who haven't been there or to just explore on their own for their own trip planning or their own memories and, and sharing of, of other uh, you know, locations with people. So I think it, it works pretty well for all of that. And we're, we're very thrilled by the response that we've gotten from our viewers. Fantastic. I have a question. Yes. Um, what inspired the project? I know you've been a photographer for many years now and that you helped to pioneer this kind of virtual panoramic photography back in the 90s, as Jim said. But what inspired a project this ambitious and complex? I think it comes down to 25 or 30 years of, of doing it and doing this, working with this technology and being so disappointed at so much of what we've seen. Uh, in, in it previously. Since I started, I think in 94 was when I first started uh, doing QuickTime VR with Apple. And since then, we've always been limited by technology to one degree or another. You know, the, the, the bandwidth was not available. The memory power on a computer to play these movies back was not good. You had to do tiny little postage stamp size windows and they were a novelty and they were, everybody looked at us and said, wow, that's really cool. I can't wait till it gets good. You know, and every step along the way for the last, uh, gosh, it really has been coming up on 30 years now, I think that long, every step of the way when something's improved, we've gotten better at it, but there have been very few projects that have really been good. That most of the most of the time, even my clients will say, you know, they'll pay me to come and do a shoot or a project that becomes sort of a sampler. It's a small taste of what VR could be because it's time consuming. It's sort of expensive to do if you're going to do it well. And to put together a, a large project is um, often not justified because of the cost and the time that's involved in it. And the, the return on the investment is not always there. So I have I've worked on many of them and I've seen many others that um, 
unfortunately fall well short of what I'd like them to be. And I finally decided somebody needs to do one of these projects that really just nails it, that, that knocks the whole thing out of the park. We've got all the bandwidth, we've got the quality on our, you know, our computer processors and our, our tablets now to display it effectively. Um, there are even, you know, headset, head-mounted displays that people are looking at VR in that are getting better. So I think that it's, it was time for me just to basically say, this is how we're going, we can do it. And, and, uh, to do a project that could show that. And so I chose one that was near and dear to my heart. I love Yosemite. I've been in California for 40 years and, and uh, I have just always loved being there. I've, I've worked there when I was, I was a mountain rescue team member many years ago and we would go and do trainings and mutual aid call outs there. Uh, so I've always been drawn to that area. Now it's, it's sort of in my backyard. I live close enough to it that I can get to it regularly and spend the time that it, it takes to basically do a project like this and do it as in-depth as I wanted to and to be able to do it with no limits on it. You know, it's my project. I'm not working within anybody else's budget at this point and, and I can just uh, commit whatever time and resources I have needed to it. So that leads me to my follow-up question. <laughs> do you have a favorite spot? that's a question i get often and i always have a tough time answering it i think it's a lot like for those of us who have children you know having someone ask you what's your favorite child (laughs) i get that i don't want to cop out on it you know by saying that but there are certainly places that are more favorite than others uh just because i've done so many of them Mm. there is one that and, and i think the way that I decide that I've, I like a location better than another often has to do with how good the result was and how hard I had to work to get there to do it. So, you know, sometimes like a, a climb to the top of Half Dome is just exhausting. And I've done it three times, I think now, or at least wow. around Half Dome. I did it once with each of my children. Uh, as well as several efforts on my own that didn't get me there. Uh, and, and the result from the top of Half Dome is, to me, a nice image, and a nice panorama, but it's not my favorite necessarily. Right. Uh, some of the other ones where I was off on my own and just having a wonderful time, you know, and the light finally came together and the location was great, become more favorites than that. I think one of the one of my most favorite is actually one of the simplest ones, which was um, just above a place called Olmstead Point, which is up on Tioga Road, and it's a very large pullout area where you can look off in the distance and see Half Dome from the high country. Uh, and I just hiked up the rock about I don't know two or three hundred feet, and photograph sunset up there and this evening was just a spectacular sunset and it was quiet and the the noises of the crickets and everything just all came together and so for me it's it was just a personal experience of of enjoying that and it looks good so um that's one there are probably dozens of others that could be favorites too but <laughs> that makes sense i can i can see how the personal experience Absolutely. And I can see how the kind of personal experience would factor into yeah. the favorite factor. 
Um, yeah. It's just kind of, you know, what the, what the whole vibe of the moment was for you. Yes. Um, we should let people know, remind people that they're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX. We're talking with photographer Scott Hyten, the photographer and producer of virtualyosemite.org, which lets us all anywhere in the world um, explore this magnificent national park from hundreds of different locations and listen to what the various locations sound like as we explore 360-degree panoramic photos and, um, and also read about them. Now, I also noticed that there is a, um, there's an education link on the website. Um, do you find that the site is being used in uh, kind of edu- educational contexts? Yes, we were actually quite surprised by the uh, pandemic um, and the results that the pandemic caused when mm. everybody first went into lockdown. Gosh, was it? two years ago already, uh, we saw our traffic starting to increase. Our, our analytics were showing jumps and things, and you can track where your uh, traffic is coming from, who it's referring to. And we were seeing a lot of education entities, whether they were um, uh, homeschooling or even teachers in um, primarily elementary and, and middle school education um, areas. We're using it. And then we started seeing posts and reviews about that. And it turns out that it has become a, a very attractive source for a lot of these parents and teachers who are wanting to give their kids assignments or to take them on a field trip and then say, explore on your own. You know, a teacher mm-hmm. can spend half hour, an hour taking their students online through Arts of Yosemite and then let them loose. <laughs> they can explore wherever they want, go wherever they want, you know, give them assignments, go to the top of five waterfalls, you know, which is your favorite. You know, you can do screenshots and snap pictures mm. and then write something about it. You know, there are captions, there's information available. So it, it really, without our intending it to be that way, it really has worked amazingly well as a teaching tool for not only homeschoolers, but uh, educators as well. We're, we're thrilled by that. We're, we didn't intend that, but yeah. uh, that's wonderful. That really is cool. Wow. So now as, as an amateur photographer and someone who has played with uh, VR panoramas, um, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in your, in your production process. Could you give us just a really high level view, uh, uh, overview of kind of what you do when you capture a location? Sure, it's it's relatively simple on on paper, and but <laughs> relatively uh, difficult at times to to make it happen. the The premise is that I use a, a traditional thirty five millimeter, not thirty five millimeter, a traditional uh, digital SLR camera for the most part. Uh, I shoot with a full frame fisheye lens which captures um, almost 180 degree diagonal field of view. I'll shoot anywhere from eight to a dozen or more images around in a circle uh, with a camera panning while it's tilted upward and then tilted downward or vice versa. And this gives me basically 360 degrees horizontally by 180 degree vertically coverage. Those images are then taken into the computer and some software that we use um, that 
stitches it together. So it stitches all the images together, blends them so they're seamless looking, at least if I do it right, they're seamless looking, uh, and then creates a 360 by 180 degree panorama. That panorama along with all the others then goes into another piece of software that creates the tour, that creates the interactivity between them. So you can link from one to the next location. You can choose the viewing directions that are gonna be the defaults, uh, add the sounds, et cetera. Yeah, and then that all gets uploaded to a website uh, yeah. to, for presentation. And then you've got obviously some kind of high quality stereo microphone or something along with you when you're recording ambient sound. Are you using your phone to record that? This? You would be surprised. It's not that technical. It's it's a phone or maybe the microphone that's in the camera. Wow, it's uh, amazing. I, I find that that is is good enough for for most of what I'm doing. Basically, I, I look at the audio as an element that can't be overpowered. If it becomes overpowering or too loud, it becomes an annoyance to the viewer. So it has to be to give a sense of what's going on in that environment, what's, what sounds are being heard, uh, but not, not make you go, God, I want to turn that off. <laughs> it's annoying. So recording it at, at lower levels and unfortunately not necessarily highest quality is, uh, is basically the, the simplest way to do it. I, I deal a lot with wind noise, trying to protect against wind oh, well, yeah. I don't usually carry a, a Ryko windscreen or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just use what I can and try to shield the microphone on whatever camera with my body, et cetera. But for the most part, that works. And every once in a while, I will um, take some other recordings that I've done, or even I've used some stock recordings, some talk sound of, mm. of wildlife and nature stuff. But I try to make sure that the audio tracks and the sounds are appropriate for that location. So if you're hearing frogs in the background, for instance, or birds, I want to make sure that those are frogs that actually live in Yosemite or the birds right. that actually are found. Cool. That's really cool. So um, I guess to wrap up, because you touched on this a minute ago, um, there, there is more and more talk these days about the kind of virtual reality that involves putting a, a headset on, um, Oculus uh, type devices. It feels like it's still very in early days, kind of almost where QuickTime VR was back in the early 90s, but it also just as it did back in the early 90s with QuickTime VR, it seems like there's something there, something to at least be paying attention to. Have you experimented with it or, or tried to look at virtual Yosemite through a set of goggles? <laughs> Yes, I, I have. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, I have been consistently disappointed mm. with the head-mounted displays. Um, they are, as you say, uh, they have such potential, but there are so many issues surrounding them, not the least of which is the fact that they are confining and that they make people sick. You know, when they spend too much time <laughs> so there's that. inside them. Uh, and, and so that's that's not a good thing for trying to attract an audience. You know, when you say, <laughs> oh, I'd love to see this magnificent place, but oh, I'm gonna I might get ill looking at it, or I might get confined and uncomfortable in this headset. I sort of liken them to um, anybody who's a snorkeler or a scuba diver knows that you know you pay a price in comfort 
when you have to put scuba gear or, you know, mask and snorkel on to go down and see these magnificent things underwater. And you're willing to do that because it's so good. But the first thing you do when you reach the surface of the water is to rip that thing off your face because it's so annoying. It's tight. It's, you know, hot. It's uncomfortable. It might fog up, et cetera. And so head mounted displays are very much like that to me. Yeah. Uh, they're just not good enough yet to really entice people. I know gamers are embracing them now. And so there's a potential there for it. But the other thing that bothers me about it, them is that they are intentionally isolated. And I think that a lot of what we want to do in VR is very similar to what we want to do in television or motion pictures is to be able to share the experience with other people. Hmm. And that's really hard to do inside a headset where you've cut off the rest of the world. You think about how much how popular movie theaters are today or a big screen TV in your living room, because yes, you still have contact with the real world and you may be sitting next to your family or friends or whatever, and you're sharing this experience together. Whereas VR headsets intentionally isolate you. I mean, you're experiencing each other online, you know, through avatars or whatnot, but you're not really sharing a human experience. Uh, and, and that may be great in certain fields. For instance, I know the medical field is using VR headsets for pain management because being able to get people into isolated and into an area where they have no other distractions is really great for that. So, uh, so there is a lot of potential. But in terms of uh, general consumer adoption, I'm just still not seeing it. And, and I... I have intentionally not made the virtual Yosemite available as a, you know, for Oculus or whatnot, just because I don't see it as being good enough yet. Yeah, that, that, that's so, so many good points. And it's easy to imagine, just as just as you said uh, at the beginning of our interview, how virtual Yosemite is not really best experienced on a smartphone. Um, there are going to be certain kinds of content that lead to lend themselves um, more to that kind of isolated but very immersive experience, as opposed to the um, the the more shared experience that um, that you can get um, through a conventional display. Yes, I agree fully. <laughs> really great. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so very much for for joining us tonight, Scott. Um, Virtual Yosemite blew me away when I first saw it, which is probably a year or more ago. Um, and um, I've, I've wanted the chance to chat with you about it and have yeah. you share it with our, our listeners for a long time. So I'm glad we finally made that happen. Um, folks, the site, again, is Virtual Yosemite. You can access it at virtualyosemite.org. And as you look at it and marvel at the, the majesty of, lo of that location and at the ability to click from one hotspot to another and and teleport yourself from one part to the park part of the park to another and explore and learn about it you can thank the guy we're talking to right now scott Hyten. thanks again scott thank, thank you, you scott. Uh, we certainly welcome uh, all visitors to come and enjoy it spread the word and let your friends and family know about it so, thank absolutely you. thanks again it was really fun talking to scott and exploring virtual yosemite yeah it's it's an amazing site and and I love the fact that it's a passion project. I mean, yeah. he 
created it to really show what this technology can do. I, I noticed that he has some advertiser support on parts of the site, and he also sells prints. He has some gorgeous prints of the photos yeah. that he's that he's taken there. Yeah, and, and you know, um, one last note as we wrap up tonight's edition of Point and Click Radio. The other day was the 15th anniversary of the introduction of the Apple iPhone. And hearing Scott talk about Oculus devices and virtual reality goggles and everything, it, it kind of occurred to me that there have been these big sea changes in computing technology over the last several decades where we started out with, you know, mainframe computers and punched cards and then punched uh, mainframe computers with video terminals and then mini computers and then personal computers on your desktop and then laptop computers and then smartphones. And each one of those major shifts brought more computing power, but also more access to computing power for more people. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, 16 years ago, before the iPhone came out, that most people would be accessing the internet and email with a smartphone, or that most people would be taking digital photos with a smartphone. And I think with those Oculus devices, you and I have been playing with them lately, mm -hmm. It feels like we're at that kind of dawn of maybe some kind of new sea change. That we'll see. <laughs> I'm not convinced. You, you sound a little more skeptical. Why is that? <laughs> um, I've, I have been playing around with one of the Oculus headsets, and it is certainly fun. But it's also um, like having a loaf of bread strapped to my head. <laughs> you know, it's certainly not comfortable. Um, I see its use for gaming you know, I just, I don't know that I have the same feeling about it that I do did about the phone and tablets and my laptop. Um, but it's, it's, it's new. It's the beginning. It's exactly. It's, 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 we're in the same era that cell phones were back in the, what, the 1980s when they were the size of a brick, you know. But I found those exciting then. <laughs> well, and, well and, good point. You know, don't get me wrong. I've, I've enjoyed playing games with friends in faraway places. And I do have a colleague who's using uh, a headset, you know, VR headset to do actual work. And I do have yeah. some other colleagues who actually have meetings in, in virtual reality. So it's not just all about games. Um, but at this point, I put that thing on, and within a minute and a half, it is so fogged up, <laughs> I can't see anything. So I think, it, it, yes. The lenses get fogged yeah. for, for you and yeah. for, for a lot of other people. My glasses, the lenses, everything. <laughs> it's early days. It's yeah. early days, and, um, and you're right. It may well, people have been saying this is going to be the year of virtual reality for years. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't arrived yet, but um, but it's definitely something worth watching, and we will be watching it here on Point and Click Radio and bringing you developments in the real and virtual worlds alike. In the meantime, everybody, that's going to wrap up this edition of Point and Click Radio. Thank you, Tobin Molina from the Point and Click Research Desk for joining us this week. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with more of this madness. In the meantime, get that electronic library card and go check out some, some seeds or something. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.